from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 111. Today's show is brought to you by Braintree. I'm Federico Viticci, and I'm joined today, as always, by my friend Mike Hurley. This is so beautiful. Is it? You've just, you've just taken my job. It's great. I love it. How I'm just going to sit back here now. I'm very good, Federico. I'm very good. Uh, we're also joined by our American friend, Stephen Hackett. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be back. I feel in a weird position, Mike. Please save me. Well, because the issue that you have now is if you start the show, you have to get the show going, right? Because mm-hmm. you've just done That's the intros, exactly everyone the said hello to you, and now it's on you now. Because I feel like completely that, that I'm just like chilling now. Okay, so, so you, you keep chilling. We have a lot of news to talk about today. Uh, we have the Google event. Uh, Mike is continuing to buy stuff, it appears. Mm-hmm. But first, we gotta do we gotta do follow up. So I'm gonna hand it off to Steven. All right. So uh, a couple things to talk about this week in the realm of follow up. I wanted to point people to B sides 26 on the Relay website. Uh, while I was at Release Notes conference last week, even though I didn't join the two of you on Connected, I did record a show. I was joined by Christina Warren of Rocket and Gizmodo, as well as Ed and Brian from the Simple Beat podcast, and we drafted our all-time favorite Max. I know you said that you weren't here with us, right? And that's true, but we all know that what you were actually doing was the podcast that you always wanted to do. Which is really, it was just a, a gut reaction when I saw you guys recorded about Snapchat for two hours. My gut reaction was to talk <laughs> about G3s. You were cheating on us with old computers. Yep. That's what you did. Yes. So I listened to this today, and it was really interesting to me. It reminded me of like the parts of ATP where they start talking about cameras or like low-level Python stuff, where mm-hmm. it's just like I just sit and let the words just flow <laughs> over me. Yeah. You know, every now and then I was like, oh, I've heard Stephen talk about that computer before. But <laughs> other than that, it was like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You're basically being showered in computer talk. Yeah. I took a, I took a podcast shower today and it was, it was mm. fantastic. Mm. It was a lot of fun to listen to. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I felt like there was something very fun to listen to, which was that I feel like, I don't know whether you knew this was happening at points, like you and Christina were trying to like out history each other which was amazing. Bit. Every now and then, one of you would throw something in, and then the other would like, here's another fact for you, here's another fact. And it was, <laughs> it was so funny. It was a good time. It was like at midnight in my hotel room, so there's some you know late night zaniness. Um, but uh, it was a lot of fun to do. So I did speak while I was at Release Notes. This is the conference, Mike. You, you gave the keynote last year. Uh, Christina Warren gave it this year. Uh, but when my talk is up, I will be sure to share a link with everybody. I think it went really well. So if you went to release notes or you are somebody who helped pull it off, thank you very much. It was great to be there again. Uh, if you're on the fence about this next year, I would think, I think Mike, you would say this too. Mm-hmm. It's a great conference if you are an independent designer or developer or have a bunch of side work and you want to kind of rally the troops and, and make it a full-time thing. It's really uh, a great week of, of talks and getting to, to hang out with people who do and understand the things that you do. Yeah, it's a great conference. I wish I could have made it. I just couldn't make it work with some of the other travel commitments I've had this end of the year. Um, You're underselling yourself, though, because you said that I keynoted, which is true, but you closed the conference. Shut it down. That's, I mean, not forever, but like that's, you know, you're not just like, you're not just like some mid-carder like Matthew Bischoff, right? You're like closing (laughs) the thing off. (laughs) 
You know he's verified on Twitter. I do <laughs> know very, that. I do know that. It's very impressive. Um, so you guys talked about Snapchat last week, and mm-hmm. Mike, you something has happened to you where you went from that <laughs> straight to vlogging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a YouTube channel now. So I would point people to Cortex episode 38 where you and Gray talk about some of your thinking behind this project and what you want to do with it. And of course, youtube.com slash user slash Mike Hurley. So this is a thing, the user thing. So this is just one of the very weird things that I've discovered about YouTube. Like the URL is youtube.com slash Mike Hurley. Like that is the URL. But on random occasions, if you type that in on a mobile browser, it just gives you an error. And it does this for anybody's YouTube channels. It's not like just because I'm new, because I was testing it with Gray. So I'll type in like youtube.com slash gray, and it would just be like error, unknown. And it's like, uh, what? So there you go. That's why I've put it in tweets and stuff as slash user slash Mike Hurley. This starts my um, inevitable hate towards the YouTube platform, which mm-hmm. I feel like was something I knew was going to happen. But there are a lot of these really, really weird things about YouTube. Uh, and, and that is definitely one of them. It's weird. It's really weird. So what are you doing? Like, what are the challenges here for you, Mike? What kind of setup do you have? Tell us more about... Give us the details. We want to know the details. The challenges are everything. Everything is challenging because it's new. Um, Like, I'm not used to recording video of myself. I'm not used to recording video of things that I see, like, to be used anywhere. Um, I'm not used to editing video. Uh, I'm not used to the system or the platform that I'm using. Like everything's tif- difficult, but I am enjoying it so much that I'm like overlooking the difficulty of it all, really, which is good because that's the way, the only way that this can work for me. Because I am enjoying doing this, I don't mind that I'm sitting and kind of like struggling with things a bit. So it's all tough, but I'm getting better, and uh, I feel like I'm able to apply some skills that I've learned of audio over to video. And I'm having ideas, and and the ideas I'm having are really exciting me. Like, me and Stephen were just talking uh, before the show that the the, uh, the Apple Store in Regent Street is opening up again in a couple of weeks on 15th of October. So I'm going to go down there and shoot some video to put in a vlog, which is kind of cool because I'm like, oh, here's a thing I can go and do, which is fun. And I can go and turn it into a thing, and I'm excited about it. Um my setup, I considered getting a point-and-shoot camera because that seems to be what the vloggers do. Uh, but I've decided to not do that and to just use my iPhone because my iPhone has a really good camera on it and I figure I can probably just get away with that because right now, the most important thing is that I kind of get used to doing this and get good at it and I don't think that the quality of the camera is what's going to help me do that. And I think if I had to carry around a camera and all of the related equipment, I would probably not like to do it as much. Right? Like if I had to carry around a camera and batteries and SD cards and a tripod and all that stuff, like I just wouldn't want to do it so much. But right now I'm just carrying around my iPhone in my pocket as normal and I just pull it out and shoot video or something. And I have got this little piece of kit on the way that I'm very excited about that Federico told me about called the uh, DJI Osmo Mobile, which yeah. is like a gimbal, which is basically like a Steadicam. Like it, this thing, it looks amazing. Uh, and it's basically ends up just becoming a handle for my iPhone 
which I put the iPhone on the end of, like a selfie stick type thing, and it looks really cool. So that's I'm I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little far into the rabbit hole now, but yeah. So my setup is for the time being just the iPhone because you know what else the iPhone has? Lots and lots of apps. And it has lots and lots of camera apps and lots and lots of video recording apps. And I'm able to do like interesting things with them, uh, like time lapses and stuff. Like I'm playing around with a few professional camera apps right now to see what I can what I can do. But uh, I'm happy using my iPhone, to be honest. Good. Yeah. So I wanted to point people to a, a blog post. It is mostly a recap of what we spoke about um, a couple of weeks ago after the iPhone 7 hissing deal. Um, but I put some of those thoughts down into a blog post last week and included some rather hilarious charts and graphs for, from my YouTube channel dashboard. You can see what the effect of 1.5 million views on a 13 second video uh, will do to things like your average view duration and uh, your watch time. So I don't have anything to add past what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, but if you hadn't seen that, I wanted to make sure that people knew that I'd written a little more about it, and um, I'm glad it's over and we can never speak of it again. Yeah, I think like everything in the blog post, listeners of the show have heard, but they should go to the blog post to see the charts because the charts are interesting. It's um, It was really funny when I started looking into those. I was like, oh, this has some really funny effects on my numbers. Not that those numbers really matter much to what I'm doing on YouTube, but it was sort of, you know, an overwhelming number of views on something on a video that was so extreme and its length really uh, has some funny effects. Yeah, your numbers are ruined for a very, very long time, right? Yeah, my average view time in particular is is going to be short um, for the foreseeable future. So Yeah, maybe maybe next time you find an iPhone floor, just record it for an hour. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do a whole video. All right, you going to go cranky old man on us right now? A little bit. So I mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about the iPhone portrait mode, which has been spoken about on Connected as well as Upgrade. And I really wanted to point some attention to my own experience. And I will open this saying, this is my own experience. I had a lot of replies immediately after I said that I haven't been super impressed with it. You know, basically saying, well, you're really bad at taking pictures or clearly you haven't used it because it's perfect, like whatever. If you feel that, that's great. This is how I feel. And I have the microphone, so I get to share how I feel. The, I think the crux of this is that portrait mode really shines in some very particular cases. So when you're using it, there's some little on-screen text of like, hey, this is really too dark, or you need to back up, or you need to be closer. I think, too, that there is a little bit of bias towards like head like head and shoulder shots. So some of my examples in these tweets are wider shots. So there's one of my brother kind of from like torso up and it, it struggles in some areas. And there's one of one of my kids sitting on a tractor and it really goofs up the edges around the steering wheel. Like I think the, the ones that I've taken that I have liked are much more like classic portrait, like you would see in a yearbook or something where it's kind of shoulders up. And I know that it's a beta and I know that I... I'm going to see things that other people want, Mike, to your point on Upgrade a couple of weeks ago. Like, I do have real cameras. I've got a whole stash of them here. And I have a whole bunch of different lenses. And so I I have experience with the stuff that you know most people don't have. And I think most people are going to use portrait mode and be really impressed by it. Because it is such... And it really is such a huge leap over what the iPhone or any other smartphone has been able to do thus far. But it's not perfect, and it definitely has some issues where 
you know, if someone's standing and their arms are kind of out from their bodies a little bit, it will blur on the outside of their arm, but the space between their arm and their body, it won't always catch. And it's easy to understand why it's doing that. It's doing this layer mapping and it, it can't really understand that, you know, that the depth of these, you know, body parts is the same, even though they're like physically separated. Well, of course a real lens does it because it's using light and glass and, and science to make that happen. And so I hope that this improves and I think it will. Um, I know there was a new version of the developer beta today, which we're going to talk about in a second. And I'm hoping that they are tweaking this and that they're continuing to make changes to it. My guess is that they are aware of, of, you know, some of the issues, you know, maybe asking it to do really a really good job around a steering wheel and a tractors. Maybe I'm asking too much of it, but I saw that picture and I didn't keep it because like it, all I can see are like the errors and even small, you know, a lot of people said, well, it's, if you put it on Instagram, it's fine. Like, yes, that's true. But if I ever want to like print this picture out as a fracture or keep it like long term in my photo library, um, those errors are, I think are going to date that image in a way that's not good. And it's going to kind of look worse over time as, as this feature and the scammers in general get better. So I'm using it sparingly. I definitely am not using it all the time, but it's, I don't know. I just haven't been as impressed as some people seem to be, but I'm willing to give it a pass until it's kind of out of beta, right? Like, it's all malleable right now. In fact, in my iPhone 7 Plus review yesterday, I mentioned it. I say I'm not reviewing this feature at this point, which is why I haven't written about this on the site. It's just been a couple tweets because I understand it's in beta and that hopefully they're improving it. And again, that maybe I'm asking too much of it. But so far, it just it honestly hasn't really blown my socks off. I mean, I would be willing to, to put quite a lot of money on uh, the iPhone 7 Plus never giving you what you want with a portrait mode. Well, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's never going to be as good as shooting on my DSLR with a 50 millimeter lens, but it should. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask that if someone's arm is out from their body that it blurs the background on both sides of their arm. Like, I think it, it should be able to, ca- to catch that sort of thing because that's a very... Right, but it can. It just didn't. So this is the thing. It's inconsistent. Like, it can do it. It can do stuff like that but it doesn't always, right? Like right. there might be examples. It might Like you could sit and try and take that photo of your brother for an hour and it wouldn't work, but move him like over there and it would, right? Because it's like, it's super weird. Like I'm, I've taken like multiple photos at the same time and they've all come out differently, right? Because of just the amount of light that's hitting at that second, the amount of shake, the amount of movement in the person, right? Like, because one thing, thing that I find really funny, you know, it gives you two photos. So it gives mm-hmm. you the, blurred mode and the standard one i've had it where those images were different in certain ways it's like a blink somebody blinked and the portrait mode one has got the person blinking in it and the other one hasn't right like i've seen stuff like that like it's doing whatever it's doing but it's doing a ton of stuff to try and make these things work but like i will say my point on this like over and over again i can't take photos like this of any equipment i have the fact right. that I and, can now is is brilliant, and I just feel like you know most not everyone but most of the people that are unhappy with these results are because they can take these photos in other ways, right? And you know, and I also I understand your point about like the picture aging and stuff, but like if that is your concern, you'll also get the original, and you just can keep it. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I I don't think that me saying like me having my opinion and you having your opinion are mutually exclusive and mm-hmm. so many people on Twitter want them to be like, I totally understand what you're saying. And I agree. Right. Because I, and this is why it's so frustrating to me because you can see the potential of it. And when it does get it right, it is really nice. 
it's just that that inconsistency is what's a little frustrating because yeah. I want to be able to leave the 50 millimeter lens at home when we go to the park and know that I can get consistently nice portraits from my phone. And it's just not there yet. And mm-hmm. I think, I, I believe it can be one day. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, as a hundred percent perfect as a real, I'm going to use air quotes, like, you know, real big camera may be, but it's, it's showing a promising start. It's like you and I can have different feelings about it, but neither of us are wrong necessarily. I think, that's one reason I wanted to bring it up because I've I've heard even on other shows that sort of like dichotomy and I just don't think that's an, an an actuality. I think that you can be impressed with it but want it to be better at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I think so too. Like I mean the things I delete way more of these than I keep, right? Like I know that yeah. it's not always wrong, but th- I think the key to, the clear difference is it doesn't upset me like when I see it being wrong. You know, like I don't get frustrated about yeah, it. Yeah, which which I think is why they give you the original, and they do that on HDR photos still as well. I think so they Apple, the iPhone will always give you the option to say, "Hey, we did this. If you don't like it, here's the original." I think that will you know continue. I mean, how long have we had HDR, and that's still the you know how it works where you get yeah. both versions? Because every now and then HDR can give you something weird. Exactly. You know, so it makes sense. I feel like I'm following what you guys are saying, but I'm strangely an outsider this time because I'm still using the iPhone 7. And I'm actually quite enjoying it, but all the talk of portrait mode and, you know, dual lens is kind of making me jealous. And all of my friends are like, hey, you're you're testing an iPhone 7? Where's the dual camera? (laughs) I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, it's on a different model. Yeah, I would be very surprised if you don't feel the way that I do. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I, I have like complete ignorance in terms of actual photographic equipment like i mm-hmm. i've i've operated a real camera once and i didn't know what i was doing i was like no 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 this this is not for me um so i i am enjoying the iphone 7 i'm working on a story on the iphone 7 but i'm jealous when i hear you guys talk about the 7 plus and i can't wait to get one all right ios 10.1 beta 2 came out mm-hmm. federico i know you've installed it what have you seen um, so it came out during the Google event. Uh, there's a I, I found a bunch of quote unquote fixes. Um, basically, one of the most popular, famous bugs of the public release of iOS 10, uh, the messages app dropper. So the icon, the, the little page dots at the bottom. In iMessage, once you installed a bunch of apps from the iMessage app store, uh, you could break the interface. As I showed during the summer and as many other people realized in September, uh, install more than 20, 30 maybe iMessage apps and the the page indicators started overflowing. So I don't know how Apple couldn't figure out that people were going to install a lot of stickers and a lot of iMessage apps, but they shipped this broken UI. And with the beta today, they fixed it by getting rid of, of the page indicators, and now there's a scroll bar, and you j- it just goes from edge to edge as you swipe between iMessage apps and stickers. So it's not a real fix. It's just, well, we cannot figure out how to display page indicators for these many pages, so we're just going to get rid of them and put in a scroll bar. Which I kind of understand, because, I mean, what you're going to do for pages, are you going to have, like, two rows of page dots? Uh, so maybe that solution was was ugly. And I mean, the entire app drawer needs to be redesigned, I think. So for now, the scroll bar seems like the most obvious solution. At least it's not as painful as looking at those overflowing dots. The second fix is uh, you were on the iOS 
10 public release, you could not drag and drop stickers on the iPad while using messages and a second app in split view. Uh, basically, you if you try to tap and hold on a sticker, it would just uh, display like a blank spot in the in the little sticker browser. Uh, now, when you tap and hold in split view with messages on the side and a second app, it just does nothing. Like tap and hold doesn't show the peeling off animation anymore. It doesn't show you the gray spot. It does nothing. So they just got rid of the ability to drag and drop in split view, which again, as I said before, I think it's sort of a hint of a proper drag and drop framework coming in the future on the iPad. But for now it was broken. So you know what? Let's just (laughs) uh, remove the ability to do so. That's what I found. That's how you fix it. That's like, you know? I mean, sure, at least you, you <laughs> fixed a bug by getting rid of the feature, which is kind of backwards, but, you know, at least there's not a bug anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to look at it. Well, there's no bug anymore, so radar closed. <laughs> you know, when your car breaks down, instead of fixing the car, just leave the car in the road and walk away. <laughs> there you go. You the have problem. solved the problem. You, you no <laughs> yes. longer are trying to use a broken car. Exactly. Anyway... So it's probably something else. I'm going to try to find what's new on Reddit. And you know that the people on the Mac Rumors forums, they are crazy. Like the beta comes out, there's people on Mac Rumors just digging through every single change. I don't know how they do it. They must have like a checklist of things to things to double check and try as soon as a iOS beta comes out. So, uh, you know, got to gotta give them credit to the Mac Rumors forums people. I see you and you're doing good work. What are they doing? Like literally the only thing they can do is just try all the features like there isn't yeah. like a way they can dig into the code or anything uh, some people do some people do but that requires patience even trying every every single setting i mean there's people who discover when apple changes the labels of a setting wow. like the wording here is different like h- how how do uh, how can you know still thank you you're, you're doing a service in for some people like me so the way that to the way to do that right is to get a bunch of people together and assign them all one thing, <laughs> right? And this probably yeah. isn't what they're doing, but this is the way you would do it. So you would get like, all those people on the Mac Rumors forum and you'd be like, right, Federico, you look after photos and camera settings in the settings app. Like a beta testing sweatshop? That's what you're thinking of? I mean, if that's what you want to call it, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to step away from that. Yeah. No, I, it's actually a, a, an interesting idea for next year's iOS 11, whatever you view, to get a bunch of people, pay them a fair price, and, uh, you know, to have them help me find every single setting, every single option. I mean, that was a joke, but I'm actually considering the idea. You could use Alibaba for something like that. I could use a few assistants. No, it's not Alibaba, is it? Mechanical Turk? Mechanical Turk. Turk. Yeah. Alibaba's the company that sells all the stuff, right? Yes. You were close. I mean, that was a very like broad thing that I just said, but that is exactly what Alibaba is. They are the company that sells everything, everything. Yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with the company. Okay, I think don't they? Uh, Yahoo owns a bunch of them, right? It's a British joke. Nope. I don't get. Nope, it's not a British joke. <laughs> Do they sell candles that smell like new Max? Don't mm. even. I just those are what? sold out. Oh no! What a bummer. <laughs> What's happening here? What is this thing? So 12 South, which is a company whose products I like. I have a couple of their products on my desk right now. Me too. They opened a weird product store over the weekend. And the the, 
the product that got all the headlines, and we'll link to Christina's thing over on Gizmodo, is a new Mac candle. <laughs> and it is a soy wax hand pour $24 artisanally created candle. And it is designed to smell the way a Mac coming out of the box smells. And I can't, I, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Not an iPhone, just a, just a Mac? Yeah, I wonder if it is specifically new Mac or if it is just Apple products. Yeah, exactly. I think you guys are thinking way too much about this. I want to just say very, I want to be completely upfront about this. If I was going to have a candle, this would be the kind of smell that, because I love that smell, <laughs> right? Like oh, yeah. I think the reason this candle exists because that is a great smell. <laughs> I think it's a bunch of chemicals like finding oxygen and they produce an awesome smell. <laughs> it's like gasoline. It's it's awesome to smell, but it kind of gives you cancer, I think. I know this uh, sounds ridiculous, but I do actually believe they put that smell in there. It's like the new car thing, right? Like it is a thing that they put in there. I think that because the smell is the same, right? At least to my memory anyway. But anyway, I love the smell of new Apple products, but... And I would, and if I was going to have a candle, this would be a fun candle to have. I like that smell, and it's funny. But nobody should have ever made this. Like if I got given you know, it as a gift, I would think it was a cute gift. But still, no one should have ever made this candle. We should we should buy a bunch of these candles. They're all have gone. A, like a have a well when they back in stock. We have a, like a little get together. We light a bunch of these candles, and we summon the spirit of the new Mac Pro. So maybe mm. you guys can get new computers. Mm. Okay, well, I'm fine with my iMac. That's a good idea. I think we should do that. You know, it's just, it's one, I mean, it's sort of a ridiculous story. Um, and it definitely made the rounds today. I have a feeling that that smell is added to the box because I've unboxed a bunch of Macs and they all smell nice inside. Um, I agree with Federico, though, it's probably nothing good for you. And I agree no. with you, too. I, too, like the smell of gasoline. I thought I was the only one. Oh, so I love it. Two of us. No, I love the smell of gasoline. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's very bad for you. <laughs> but it's like as, as bad as smells can be, but it's a great one. Yeah. yeah. But I would never, I would not buy this. I think it would be a funny as like a white elephant Christmas gift, you know, like a, sort of a funny jokey gift. But it's not something that I want to put on my desk. Hold on a second, Mike. How can you love the smell of gasoline if you don't have a car? Do you just go around the smell of gasoline? I, I'm out in the street where there are cars. <laughs> you know, every now and then, like <laughs> something will stop? spit out some gasoline. I don't think you know how cars work. <laughs> All right. So, for example, for example, like the reason this is in the front of my mind is this weekend I was out in London, and for reasons unknown to me, there was a guy on the sidewalk with a motorbike, and he was revving the engine, and I could smell the gasoline. Hmm. <laughs> I thought All right. you just approached the guy, like, hey, can I smell the gasoline? I need a hit, man. Come on, get, hook me up. <laughs> This is a perfect time for a break. This week's episode is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're hard at work and the next big company. You're working on the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next GitHub. Well, why don't you make one thing way easier for yourself and use the same simple payment solution that helped these companies become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it's almost like technological magic add it to your app with just a few lines of code and you're instantly ready to accept apple pay android pay paypal venmo credit cards even bitcoin and if some other way to pay comes along braintree will support that as well 
Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means that you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. You'll see fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. Um, as a person that uses that as a user, I appreciate it. Mobile checkout is good. To check it out for yourself, visit braintreepayments.com slash connected. Once again, that is braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, then. So first up on the docket today, I received my Echo. I spoke about it last week, and it's here. And uh, I know we've gone into depth about the Echo in the past of you guys, but I wanted to, to very briefly touch on a few things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the, the heartbreak that is happening in the United Kingdom right now is that IFTTT is only currently supported on U.S. Alexa devices. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why? Pfft, who knows? <laughs> doesn't doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense. But uh, if you want to to if you want to see the rage of British people, look at IFTTT's Twitter account. Because for the past week, you can just scroll through their tweets and see the same one over and over again. Amazon's team is working to bring the Alexa service to UK users on IFTTT soon. Stay tuned. Over and over and over and over. Like, there is some poor, poor person working the social media account of IFTTT because they're just being spammed, (laughs) absolutely spammed with it. Yeah, that's why you don't do Brexit, Brexit, kids. It's very bad for you. Even automation. I'm sorry, Mike, but <laughs> I couldn't resist. I mean, I'm I'm so I'm really sorry. It, it's an awesome. I can tell you, it's an awesome feature, and I, I, I I'm almost tempted to say I told you so. I told you so. You should get one on eBay, but well, you no, because it's gonna happen. I, no, I understand your reasoning. I understand. I, I'm sorry. And plus, you know, for me right now, until we move, Alexa's not going to be at full power. You know, like I'm, I'm not really bothering to set it up with a bunch yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So right now, I'm just getting used to the basics of it, and I absolutely love it. We both do. Me and Nina really love this thing. Um, I'm listening to more music at home, which I know is something that happened to you, Federico. And I don't know why, really, like it's it's making me do this. I think it's just purely because it's easier, and th- it's easier and less obtrusive for me to do this than using Siri or navigating the menus in the music app. And I, I'm not 100% sure why, but I I had been more recently using Siri to listen to music more often. Um, so I have been getting used to the voice control stuff, but like just, just saying it as opposed to actually pressing any buttons, I kind of I just kind of like that. And plus, the, the Amazon Echo speaker is better than the speaker in my iPad. Right, like it's just great. Um, I really love that you can set default services. So during the setup process, as soon as I enable Spotify, it was like, hey, do you want to set this as your primary music thing? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Like I thought that was really cool that they just did that. Uh, and I am now using it as my seven-minute workout timer. There's a seven-minute workout skill that you can add. Um, and I can just say, Alexa, start my seven-minute workout, and it will do that, which I like. A uh, friend of the show, Rob Lewis, he wrote up some initial thoughts about uh, Alexa in the UK as well, which I'll put in the show notes, which I think are pretty good, uh, because Rob did the same as I did, and is sad in the same way that I am, and happy in the same way that I am. The Echo and the Alexa service is so much better than Siri. 
at understanding what I want to do. Um, yeah. And it's also, it understands Adina really well as well, which Siri does not. So it is a big, it is a big winner in our household with one of the primary reasons of being able to set more than one timer at a time. When we cook, very frequently we're cooking multiple things and they have individual timers on them. One iOS device cannot let you set more than one timer, but the Alexa does. It's great. Yeah, that's very handy. We use timers all the time, like for um, when you're cooking pasta, but you're also uh, cooking the sauce. Exactly. It's just awesome. Exactly yeah. that. Like these, these are the reasons that we need it, and it's and also the. The interface that it gives you about those timers is really good because you can kind of just say, like, what timers do I have? And it tells you the length of them and how long is left on each of them. Um, it's really good. I I would like I would ask for one additional feature, like to be able to add like ad hoc name a timer. Like to be like set a timer for potatoes that's 15 minutes. Uh, and then I when I ask it, it could say the potato timer has got 13 minutes left on it. It's the only thing that I wish I could add to it. Mm, but yeah. like that's super yeah. like granular at this point, but I would like to be able to do that. Have you filed a, a Bezos? A Bezos? <laughs> a Quasar? What do they call them? <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. A Posty? I have no idea. A Post-it note? Like he owns the Post, right? I can do that. I'll post it to him. I don't know. Mm. I like this thing and uh, I haven't set up any, like I have some Wemo switches. I'm not bothered to set them up yet. Uh, I, I'm excited for my future with the with the Echo. I need to start using my Spotify account. Basically, I own a spot. I have a Spotify account. I've had it forever, and I have multiple family members using my Spotify account. So it's ruined. So I feel like I need to take it back from them, and so I can sort out my selections because I really love the new music thing that Apple Music has. Not the new music, like the favorite mix. Like yeah. my the favorite mix thing is amazing. And does Spotify have anything like that, like a favorite mix rather than a new music mix? There's a bunch of new things that they're doing. So um, right before iOS 10, I think they launched uh, Release Radar, which is like a new music you should listen to. But like two weeks ago, maybe last week, very recently anyway, after iOS 10, they launched... Um, I don't remember the name, but it's, uh, I think, Daily Mix, which is a daily mix of favorites from your listening history or library, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's daily, and it's it's not weekly. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, see, I I wished that I could use that stuff. Well, we'll see. Where did you set the Alexa up in your house? Currently, it is in the hallway (laughs) uh, between the front room and the kitchen. In the in the new place, it will go, um, it will go because we have one really large room that is a kitchen and our living room, and it will go in there. Um, and I may get a, a a dot as well to put in in my office. Yeah, I just ordered uh, the the dot for my new studio. Someone have one out here, but it is funny to me how many people end up with the Alexa or the Echo in their kitchen. Like it seems like such the natural place for this sort of tech, whether it be from Amazon or Google, or if, you know, if Siri ever ends up in a, in a little, little box. And it's just so handy, right? Like you said, to set timers, listen to music and that you can do it all without getting your phone out. You know, I think voice control makes a lot of sense when you're in the kitchen because you usually can't handle your device. 
Right. So I think that's why, like, it would be in our kitchen, but we do not have a lot of kitchen space. Yeah, um, it's it's like where it wants to be. Mm-hmm. So remind me, remind me what the Echo Dot does. Is the little puck that you gotta connect to a speaker? Yeah. Does it just listen? It, What's it, the deal? You have to connect it to a speaker to get the okay. audio output. Um, but it does the. It does everything, right? But like, I don't think it has as many microphones in it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's kind of the difference. It's like bring your own speaker. Okay, so what if I connect it to my headphones and walk around with it? I mean, that would probably work. It would be really weird, but like, it would probably work. <laughs> you're you're going to need an extension cord. Yeah. That's oh, it. yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, I, yeah. So you should get the uh, the Bluetooth one, right? The oh, they, they have the port. Yeah, they have the portable one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's the only one that's not in the UK. They're just selling the dot and the uh, echo, like the standard. Yeah, and one. The, the dot is like pre-order for the second generation, and you can do. I think they you can order it now, and it comes out in a couple of weeks. And you can even do a five pack. So like Amazon's really pitching, put one of these in every room. And there's some new smart stuff going on behind the scenes where it knows which one is closest to you, and they can interact with each other and. They're really pitching the future of like, just put this little thing in all of your rooms. And even if it's not hooked up to a speaker everywhere, you can still like shout commands to it and add things to your to-do list or change the volume of the one that is playing music. And so I like this approach of it's great in the kitchen. Like that's where our main echo will be. And I'm just going to have this one out here hooked up to a sound system where I can just talk to it, you know, as needed. I think they're onto something. I think more so than like the Google Home or you know the rumored Siri thing, where it's just one box. Like the the next step is having this thing available to you wherever you are in the house, so you don't have to put it in the hallway so it can hear you wherever you are, where you can just be like always accessible and always on. Um, I think is I think a pretty exciting feature because uh, I think as good as the voice stuff is in the kitchen, there's a lot of other places in my house. Where it would come in handy. Like I would love to have one in the garage. I would love to have one that is, you know, can can resist some humidity and 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 water and have it in the bathroom. You know, have it up on the shelf. I can shout at it. Like, hey, I'm, you know, you're in the shower. You have an idea to put something on your grocery list. You can just shout out to it. I've been so very I, surprised that I can shout downstairs to my echo and it hears me. It's really the microphones are amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it's really 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 insane. It's really cool, Stephen. I think it nearly is time for the Mac event. So uh, on Upgrade this week, Jason Snell sounded curiously optimistic mm. about there being a, an Apple event in October. And now there is uh, there is something potentially that is indicating we have an event coming. Yes, yeah, so Apple had last week announced their quarterly call where they get on the phone and they tell everybody how much stuff they sold and how much money they made. And that call was set for Thursday, October 27th, which is a little unusual to be on a Thursday, but that's when it was. And then yesterday afternoon, Apple said, oh, actually, and this is a quote, due to a scheduling conflict, we're going to now have it on Tuesday, October 25th. Now, Apple is bound by law to, to enter a quiet period before these conference calls, so they can't dump a bunch of bad news right before the quarterly call and then try to like mask it in their in their results, right? Now, my understanding, and if, if mm. someone knows more specifically than I do, please let us know. From my reading, 
on this last night. There's not a set time period that companies have to be quiet. Apple in the past generally has about a week where they don't announce new products for seven days before their quarterly call. That's it's not a hard and fast rule, like I said, but that seems to be where Apple normally lands. So I don't, I do not think this means that there's going to be an event on Tuesday, October 25th, and then that afternoon they do their their quarterly calls. They can't, they actually can't do that. But it, what I think it means is that we're going to see a, a Mac event, and I agree with Jason for all the reasons he said. I think it makes a lot of sense to show the, these new products off, especially this revised MacBook Pro with Touch ID and the the OLED Touch Bar that everyone has talked about for so long. I think these things deserve stage time. And maybe those are now coming at the very end of October. Maybe this event is on Wednesday the 26th or Thursday the 27th. Or you know, maybe it's just a week before and Eddie Q wanted to get his Halloween on early, so they had to move it. But it's very strange that they would change it. And I think that, that episode of Upgrade, is Jason lays out a really good case of why this makes sense. And, you know, they're almost out of time. You know, the Mac is not really a, a holiday item, not, you know... It's really a back-to-school item, and they, they missed that, right? A bunch of college kids just went off to school three months ago with old MacBook Airs. But you don't want to be in November, December, and release these things, and they get buried by everything else. You have a little window here in October to get these things out the door. And it's not unheard of for Apple to ship, ship Macs in October. They've done it a bunch before. So I am really hoping that Macs are around the corner. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that it's an event. I think the Mac deserves an event. It would be fun to be at Town Hall, but uh, you know they, they sort of said goodbye to that. And my guess is when they said goodbye to Town Hall, they didn't anticipate Max taking so long to get out the door. So maybe they'll be there, maybe they'll be in San Francisco somewhere, but I think we should be expecting invites here in the next couple of weeks, that there's going to be something at the end of the month, either a week before or just after this quarterly conference call. Hmm. And um, hopefully there'll be, there'll be some Max stuff for those of us who are are anxious to have new Mac hardware. I still think it's going to be before this call, but that would mean like the 18th or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like that week before. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, if it's that, if it's that early, we would see invites, you know, here in the next week or 10 days. So yeah, cause it will probably be like, they won't invite a lot of people, right? Like they'll keep it super tight. Yeah. I would imagine that it's, I mean, even if they do MacBook Pro and say the iMac gets a revision and say, just for the sake of argument, the Mac Pro gets an update, LOL. Like, that's a really, sh- that's going to be a short event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll, they'll go over Sierra again. Sierra did not get a mention in the, the, the September event. So, that you know, they'll do, hey, Sierra is doing great so far because we're auto-downloading it now. <laughs> Lots of people are running it. But even then, you know, you're talking maybe an hour if you stretch it. So I, I don't, the only thing I'm struggling with is what else do you put in this event, right? There's if if Federico's uh, theories are correct, and I, I totally believe that they are. We're not going to see iPads. I don't think we're going to be seeing you know some new category. I don't think Siri in a box is a thing yet. And so, what else goes in this event? I, I don't really know. But I'm going to announce that car. That's I don't it. think that's it. <laughs> you know what? They're also it could be a release date for the AirPods. Yeah. I mean, they said uh, late October. In fact, late the, October. the Apple Store says late October. So, you know, maybe you maybe that gives some stage time as well. Yeah. Five minutes, though. Like, Yeah, it's not much. I agree. Like, it would make sense, but I can't 
I'm just trying to think much. of stuff they could have for the keynote, or maybe just like a back to the Mac. You remember that? Um, yeah, type of event. But that event was Mac OS X Lion with Craig Federighi's shaky hand. They drug him up now, so his, his motions are smoother. And MacBook Airs, and there's no software this time. Like, admittedly, the MacBook Pro would have some software story if this OLED Touch Bar is addressable in any way by third-party developers. They will take stage time to explain what what it can do and what developers can do with it. So, you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit longer than I think, but either way, I, I am I'm lumping my fate in with Jason and saying, I think it's time for an event. I think that it will be in October. So we will see. All right. But Apple isn't the only company that does events. Uh, and just through pure luck and happenstance we moved the recording of today's episode and it ended up coinciding with google's october 4th event we were able to now cover it because we have the space i will preface this by saying if you are at all interested in this stuff if you're at all interested in google you should go and subscribe to material on relay fm because they're going to do a better job of talking about this topic than we are with more context uh, and more legitimacy so I recommend that people go and check that out. I'm looking forward to it. I think they're actually recording their episode in a Google Hangout today or something. So that'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. But we should talk about the event. So uh, Sundar Pichai started off, I love Sundar so much. Mm-hmm. I think he is awesome. I think he's fantastic on stage. Uh, I really, really like this guy. I feel like I say this every time because it continues to be true. He's like so chill. He's like so chill. But like, you know he means it. Like everything he's saying. I think God's great. Uh, and he spent some time talking about mobile first to AI first. This is uh, Google's thinking of, they kind of uh, referenced some previous shifts in computing. I find it really weird. They've referenced like PC, web, and mobile. And my thinking on all these three things is like, you guys didn't do any of those. And I'm not saying that they had to. But it was really interesting to kind of like put that stuff up on stage because that's usually like a very Apple move, right? Like here were the big changes in interface design and here were the three things that we invented that changed those things, right? Right. And their their PC slide actually had a picture of a Macintosh on it. Yeah, and their mobile slide had a picture of whatever phones, which was funny because it was like, I thought they were going to show the first Android phone and they obviously knew they couldn't do that, right? Because it was like this thing didn't help. Um (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and admittedly, Android has helped push smartphones further than Apple have, right? They've brought them to more people. Uh, I don't really know how much I agree with my own statement, but, you know, there is an argument to be made there that Android have, like, Apple started it and then Android have kind of, like, pushed it over the finishing line. Anywho, it was just funny to see that slide be like, PC, web, and mobile. And it was kind of like, to me, like, at a... a Something to say, like, we didn't have a hand in any of these, but we're going to be the... We think what we know the next one is, and we're going to be the best at that, and that's artificial intelligence. So they kind of went through some things that they're doing. Uh, Their translation and photo detection is getting closer and closer to human levels of detection and translation, which was crazy uh, to see how good they're getting at this stuff. And they kind of spent some time as well then showing off Google Assistant. Now, I have an issue with the way that this product has been demoed for a second time here of like, here's what we want this thing to be in the future. And it's like, 
all right, guys, how many times like are we going to keep seeing this demo from you where you keep showing us these very fake videos, right? That like that anybody could make because all it is is like the perfect scenario is what you're creating. Like you ask it a bunch of questions and it gives you a bunch of answers, but your hardware and your software can't do any of these things right now or at least not reliably. So like, are we going to keep seeing this video for the next year, two years, three years, like until you're actually able to do this? And it's just a little, it's a little frustrating because it's not even really a pre-announcement of anything because it doesn't exist. Like the language that they choose to use is like, this is where we would like to see it go. I don't know why this annoys me, but it does. Yeah, because it's not really real. Like they're showing you a demo on stage and you know you don't know the conditions of voice input what it's like in a room uh what it's like in real life basically and i feel like it was sort of a staged demo and we could argue that all demos are staged and even apple maybe to an extent mike you were we were talking about this you said maybe even apple you know the demos that they do on yeah. stage we don't know if they're necessarily a hundred percent real you can tell when they're real when they're using a device but even in that case we don't know if, it, if it's a custom yeah, software don't, we don't, don't know if it's are. a custom beta <laughs> you know like i know this is you know I, you can I, never I, know I, for sure i can't recall something that apple have, apple have demoed that hasn't worked right like that i haven't been able to do myself but I just know that if I was in charge of creating a presentation where I needed to demo software, I would want a version that gave me the right answer every single time. So I'm not, you know, so like because there can be factors that can get in the way of these things that might not be my fault or the device's fault, but it might be that the Wi-Fi was bad in the auditorium, right? Like, I just don't want that to happen to me. But this is a whole other thing. But yeah, anyway, I... I was also a little bit underwhelmed with the assistant demo because to me it just looked like everything that Google Now and Google Now on Tap can currently do, but just in a new UI. Like they didn't show me anything there that I can't recall they've that I've seen before from them. Like it was just like a new way to show this information. Uh so I would like to see I would like to see that get a bit better. But the idea of a personal Google is brilliant. Like the idea that the nugget that they have kind of come across, like of we can take all of the web and give you anything, but what if you just need the stuff that's important to you and how we can tailor that? And one of my favorite parts of the video demo that they did was like, said, uh, Google Assistant, my bike lock code is 3241. And it will remember that forever. Like that is really cool. I like stuff like that. So that's a really good idea. I mean, you can already. Uh, you know, save notes in Google Now, for example. But that seems like next level. You can mm -hmm. save any kind of information and it can give it back to you. That's really, seems really useful. But what this whole event was about was Google's shift into hardware. So this is, this is new in some ways for them. So there's, there is, I think, an element of confusion around this. Um, I think partly Google's fault partly that the details are strange. But Google are saying now that they are making their own devices. Now, they have had devices like the Nexus and the Pixel before. Uh, I, I'll, I'll exclude the Pixel from the discussion, but say the Nexus. They've had a whole range of Nexus phones going back years and years and years. But these weren't like Google's phones. 
my understanding of this process is a device manufacturer would make a phone which they would show to Google and be like, is this what you want? You know, like Google may give out a sheet of specs that they want and then device manufacturers would make one and give it to them and be like, is this what you want? And then Google would say yes, they would brand it Nexus and they would co-sell it. But these are designed by Google and there was a report from Bloomberg which states that HTC is making these. So like the rumor was HTC was going to be the next person to be in the Nexus program. That was the whole rumor because it came out that they were making them. But it's a Mark Gurman report, which is interesting to see Mark getting scoops on Google now as well, uh, where he says that basically HTC are to Google that Foxconn are to Apple. They are just flat out just manufacturing these devices. Mm. So, on the surface of it, Google is making a phone in the same way that Apple makes a phone, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it is definitely a shift, and I think you can tell in in their presentation that they they seem to be speaking about it differently. There's a a sense of ownership, and the branding, of course, is not Nexus, but it's that 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 G logo on the back of it. Yep. I, I think it's a good move, and I think it's one that makes more sense than the Nexus program did. And I think I think the Nexus program made sense for its time because Google had to exist in a world where there were manufacturers making Android phones in in a bunch of in a very competitive landscape. And now HTC isn't doing anything that's really important. Moto's running around doing crazy stuff with you can clip on things in the back. LG has a couple phones, but no one really pays attention. Samsung is the dominant Android manufacturer, and and I think Google doesn't want them to have all of the power. And when something goes wrong, like the Note 7, that affects Google in a big way because Samsung has a bigger piece of the pie than than ever. And so for Google to come out with a first-party phone that is designed by them, it is branded with their their logo, their company name on it. I think it's. I think the time is right for that, and I'm excited by it. I, I said earlier on Twitter, Google and Apple need each other to be making good stuff, and I think that it is. It is time for Google to step into the ring in a big way, and I'm hoping that it continues to to move forward in creating phones and other devices. And so uh, Sundar introduced a, a guy whose, whose name I can't remember, but I know I've heard it before. I've seen him on stage before. Oh, Rick Osterloh. Uh He is the hardware chief of their new hardware division. So, I, I, you know, all of these products that came out today, it, it's, it's signaling a change that Google is now thinking about hardware more seriously. So these Pixel phones, I'll run through some of the specs and some of the details. Um, very similar looking to an iPhone, except it has this really large glass panel on the back which i expect is for like antennas like all the antennas are in there yeah but they do have antenna lines as well that do there's no way around it it does look like an iphone down to the antenna lines but i don't i'm not digging that the the look on the back of this thing it's not the best looking phone really i you know maybe it's inside what what counts like they they put up this slide of specs but these specs don't really mean anything to me because i'm not really that focused in the android world you know the specs that we get for apple phones are not like these like we're not comparing our snapdragons right like what apple makes is what they make 
and you can't really compare them to what the Android device makers make because there's no, it's like apples to oranges. Um, they uh, they have a headphone jack on this thing, which is funny. Uh, they said there was no unsightly camera bump on this thing as well. Also funny. They have two two versions of the Pixel. They have the Pixel and the Pixel XL. Uh, they have a five inch, thirty two gigabyte starting at six forty nine, and then the five point five starts at seven sixty nine. I think they're doing thirty six and one twenty eight. They're just doing the two sizes. They have three colors of this thing. They have uh, they, they, they give them funny names, but it's. I think it's like quite black, very blue and something silver, slightly silver, some name like that. Uh, the blue is a limited edition, and I think it's just limited edition to 32, and I think US only, it seems. Um, but they have a few different colors. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if I find it ugly. I just find it unimpressive. What I'm coming back to in my brain right now is when I first saw the 6P, I didn't like the look of that. But I think the 6P is a beautiful phone. So I'm reserving judgment until I see one. Yeah, I mean, it's no jet black iPhone 7. For no. sure. Not even a black iPhone 7. Um, I think it looks a lot like an iPhone. Um, it's it's really... I don't want to say boring. It's not boring. It's just it feels obvious. And uh, the, the back plate, whatever it is, the little, you know, the glass square in the back... Uh, which I don't understand if it was done for aesthetic reason or for functional purposes. I don't understand, but in some photos, it looks really ugly. Like the contrast between the uh, aluminum body, whatever it is, and the glass at the top or the plastic. I don't know if it's glass or plastic. I think it's glass. Uh, it doesn't look nice at all. Um, so, you know, it's it's a decent phone, but I also think the 6P was much sexier. I spent a lot of time on the camera, so here's some stuff for you camera people. It has an f2.0 12.3 megapixel rear camera. It has a always-on HDR plus mode. It says it can do this because it has no camera lag, so they leave it on by default, and apparently it makes the pictures look better. They have a, vi- a video stabilization, and they showed a demo of the video stabilization of two cameras side-by-side side taking the same shot. Um, I have no idea what they were doing to the shaky camera, um, yeah. it felt like that maybe they were riding down a hill with a bicycle with square wheels on it or something like I'm not 100% <laughs> sure what would cause that amount of uh, wobbling but if it was true their video stabilization is insane in the membrane uh, if that is true I have no idea what they're doing I am assuming it is machine learning yeah I mean it's no optical image stabilization I think I saw this in uh, an article on The Verge, maybe. It's not optical. It uses gyroscopes and a bunch of other sensors mm-hmm. and, I guess, AI to stabilize the video. And, I mean, we've seen Google doing this kind of crazy, you know, smoothing of videos with uh, motion stills, for example, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other products before. So now they seem to be rolling out this feature at a much larger and more important scale in the camera app of the of the. Of the the Google phone. I don't remember the name, the Pixel, because Pixel. I always associate yeah. the Pixel name with the Chromebook. Um, so it's not optical. Uh, speaking of the camera, uh, they kind of bragged about this review that they got from this website called DxOMark. Yep. Uh, like an 89 score with the iPhone 7 getting 86. So two things that I want to highlight here. DxOMark makes an iPhone accessory, like a camera accessory that you plug into the phone. Um 
hasn't reviewed the iPhone 7 Plus, I think. I checked on the website. It It has not done that yet. They said in their iPhone 7 review, Mm. stay tuned for our iPhone 7 Plus review. It features additional capabilities, and it's it's going to take us a little bit longer to test it. All right. So we'll see about that. I have a grand theory here. (laughs) <laughs> that there is some yeah, underhandedness going on. Is this is really weird, uh, but you know, okay. Like, let's say, let's just say, okay, let's just say that they have done an accurate review. All right, let's just say that this review is accurate, and that the weirdness, you know, that that I'm kind of raising my eyebrow to is that they have yet to publish their plus review, and then the plus review is higher than the pixel, right? Let's just say that's the case. Even if that is the case, and let's say that we can trust their reviews, if Google, if the Google Pixel camera is better than the iPhone, that's really interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if... Yeah. It just seems to me like it's a very, let's say, curious timing to have the Pixel, like there's a sandwich of iPhone 7, Pixel, and iPhone 7 Plus review coming next. But I mean, I'm, I'm giving these folks the benefit of the doubt. I really want to see what kind of review for the, for the 7 Plus they, they put out. Yep. But the second aspect of photography on the Google Pixel phone is I checked on the DxOMark website and there's no mention of white color photography, so white color capture, which is a big feature of photography on the iPhone Seven. Mm-hmm. I don't see any white color, uh, you know, any white color gamut spec for the Pixel. Uh, I only see HDR plus, uh, but no white color, which is, you know, it's a pretty big deal, especially when you compare photos taken in uh, sRGB color space and the display p3 that apple is doing with white color it's a striking difference yeah. on the iphone 7 display. But the thing is a device won't have that if it hasn't got a display that can show it exactly exactly so it doesn't have a white color display and of course no white color photography you know i still uh, my impression here is that the iphone 7 plus overall will still be a superior camera but i'm kind of curious to check out the pixel anyway the review that i would trust is MKBHD's review. When yeah. it comes down to the camera, that's the review that I will trust because I'm, I'm really excited to see how he uh, how he grades the 7 Plus. Um, and I'm waiting for that eagerly um, because I trust his camera reviews. Kind of what he's talking about and uh, he's good. Uh, I, I want to go back to that video stabilization thing again just for a second because I think people will... will it is an optical, right? But like I think people will knock that They'll say, oh, it's not optical. But if that, if what they showed on stage is, is accurate and true, what they have managed to do is better than what optical image stabilization can do. Right? Optical image stabilization is not going to smooth out that square wheel bicycle footage in a way that looks like what Google was showing on stage. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, optical seems to just help it a little bit, right? Uh, so if if Google are able to pull that off, like genuinely pull that off, that will be fascinating stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm interested to see what this camera really, really is like. Rapid charging, this rapid charging stuff. Like I see all these Android phone reviews, and I'm like, why, why mm-hmm. can we not have this? It will, it, after 15 minutes of charging the Pixel phones, you will get seven hours of use. Well, that's Andy. 
of any use, like, or is it like low power use? Use, just seven hours of use is what they say. But I expect it's regular use because this is what all the Android phones do. Like you give them like a 15 minute charge and you're ready to go for another half of the day. Like, that's that's very cool. Yeah, it's this rapid charging. It's all this. It's USB C stuff. A lot of it. Uh, it's rapid. Like, it's got a bunch of different names, like rapid charging, fast charging, quick charging, lightning charging, whatever. But you know, that that's <laughs> that's better than probably what my Apple Pencil would give me uh, on similar charging metrics. Like I really just need them to do this. It has USB C. Um, it comes with this is genius. This is genius a quick switch cable and software to move data from the iPhone. So calendars, uh, contacts, even iMessages from an iPhone to an Android phone. I think this is genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's Google's response to Apple's uh, move to iOS app on the Google Play Store. They're doing the same, just the other way around. And I saw uh, a screenshot of what you need to do to migrate. Uh, you need to turn off iMessage. You need to turn off FaceTime in the settings. Uh, so I assume there's going to be some kind of, you know, walkthrough yeah, in, the, yeah. in the Android app. And it tells mm-hmm. you, you know, go to the settings on the phone, on the iPhone and turn off this, turn off, turn off that. Uh, but it's, you know, if, if it works, that seems to be quite handy, especially because... Uh, in my experience, remember when I tried the Nexus 5X, mm-hmm. one of the best aspects that impressed me about Android was the easy setup flow. Like when you first set up an Android device, uh, it's just, it feels easier than iOS. I don't know if it's because of fewer screens that you need to go through or because the Google backup system feels more more reliable and faster than iCloud. Whatever it is, uh, the setup on Android felt much better to me. So if Google can, you know, combine that setup flow with a with an iOS migration, I think that would be that would be really welcome for you know people who want to move from the iPhone to the to the Pixel. Because I see this as a big fu, because Apple created that switch to iOS app. So Google are like not only recreating an app, we're going to put a cable in all of our boxes <laughs> just to switch from your platform to ours. I, I like it. I like that hubris. Um, I think that's yeah, so it's, it's, it's a, a it's a lightning cable basically. I think it's lightning to USB C. I'm assuming mm. something yeah. like that. I'm just imagining a crazy scenario where Apple kills access to that lightning cable with a software update, but that would be just messy, you know, from a PR perspective. I'm not actually. Do you know what? I'm not. Again, I'm riffing here. I'm not sure if it's a cable. I think it might be an adapter. Like it is a USB mm-hmm. to USB C. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Because then they don't need to go for MFI, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because you're just taking your charging cable that you have and you're plugging it in mm. and it's no problem. Yeah, we'll see. You, you got to get a Google Pixel mic and do the migration for us. Well, I'm, I am getting one. <laughs> see, it's just a matter of time until we know the truth. Yeah, I have ordered one of these, um, yeah. and I so, I will try this quick switch thing just to see how what? just how well it works. Um, the The reason I got this is, is a couple of reasons. Uh, I I like to have one of the latest greatest Android phones for many reasons. I, I like to have those devices. I like to understand what's happening there. Uh, but really, I really wanted to try out this camera and I wanted to try out this video stuff uh, with my interest in video. If I can get like a smartphone that has this kind of capabilities for video, like if this image stabilization stuff is true, um, I really want to 
try this out and play around with it. So that that's one of the reasons that I got this device, and I've sold my Nexus P and whatever. Like, it's, it's, you know, I want it, and I also want to try out this Daydream stuff, um, which we'll get to in a moment. But I guess there's one thing we didn't mention on the cameras, which is worth noting. Anybody that gets a Pixel C will get free unlimited storage for, of full resolution imagery on Google Photos. This is the future, right? You buy the phone and you get unlimited storage for free for original resolution photos and videos up to 4K. And I said, this is the when the worst of Apple users uh, comes out during Google events. It's, the message was very clear. It's unlimited storage for free for every Google Pixel owner and its original resolution. And already within minutes, a bunch of Apple folks on Twitter saying, yeah, but it's not really unlimited. It's not really free. I mean, that is what it's they said. It's more unlimited it, and it's more free. <laughs> right? It's unlimited you know? and it's free and it's original resolution. Like the message was extremely clear. Mm. Now, we could debate whether you want to upload your photos to Google servers, whether Google is evil and does weird things with your photos. Uh, speaking in, about, you know, in terms of, what Google says, they do not look at your photos to like give you better, more specific ads, but that's debatable anyway. They said unlimited, free, original size. And you know, there's no contest about that. Um, I think this is what Apple should do, that Apple ideally should match, because you buy a phone that costs $1,000, and you get five gigabytes of free iCloud storage, <laughs> which is a joke. In 2016, that's the new joke. It used to be 16 gigabytes iPhones. Uh, now it's iCloud and five gigabytes for free. Should at least be 50 gigabytes for free. And ideally should be the same. Should be you buy an iPhone, we take care of your photos and your videos. Don't worry about it. I know that Apple wants to make money from services, but this feels like the right thing to do. And then if you want, you can always pay for storage for like documents or, you know, other stuff. Uh, but, you know, ideally, this is what they should do. Um, this device uh, is available for pre-order now. It's shipping in a couple of weeks' time. If you want to buy it on Carrier in the US, you have to get it through Verizon. It is exclusive to Verizon, but can be bought unlocked on Google Play. Um, outside of the US, they're working with a bunch of different carriers and you can buy Unlocked as well. The Daydream View headset. Um, so this is the first headset which is for Daydream VR, which is Google's VR standard. Uh, the headset is interesting looking. It's like made of soft materials. It's covered in materials that look like athletic wear. Um, I guess it's just nicer to have on your face. But I, I just like the look of it, right? It is a design thing. I like the look of it. Uh, they're saying it's lightweight, connects wirelessly to the headset. You don't have to plug anything in. And it kind of just, you just pull open a latch, drop your phone in and close it. It's like a super fancy Google Cardboard in that way. Uh, I have a controller, which has a little clickable touchpad and two buttons. Uh, the presenter dropped his on stage, which is hilarious. Uh, because he then was like, see, it's really nicely built as well, which was a perfect, like, get out of that moment. has a bunch of sensors inside. They say it's very precise. You could draw with it and you can write your name of it. Um, and then what I love is when you're done, it has a place inside of the headset that you can store it. comes in three colors and it's $79. Um, I've joined the waiting list. If you're in the US, you get one of these for free when you buy a Pixel. If you're in the UK, not so much, which is... As long as supply lasts. 
that, that that's an asterisk. Right? Well, yeah, I mean that's always one though, right? But yeah, <laughs> in the UK, it's like there's not no release date. I've joined a waiting list. I'm hoping that like Google do good on this, like and give me one later. Because I think it's a bit ridiculous. Like I'm buying the same phone. I'm paying more money for my phone because of Brexit, and I don't get it. Like it's very strange to me. But I've joined a waiting list. I want to try this. Uh, I think Google Cardboard's great. They've got a lot of really interesting software and partnerships going on. They're showing up a bunch of games. Um, there's a game developer that we, me and Federico really love called Mike Bethor, and he is yes. like an exclusive game with uh, the Daydream stuff. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it looks like they've got some really good software, so I want to try yeah. it out, you know? Yeah. Kind of a bummer that they don't seem to be doing any positional tracking, so there, there's a risk of, you know, motion sickness and all that, but because they don't have, like, a camera pointing at your face wearing the headset so they well, can do, you know, what the Oculus and what the Vive do, I mean, for it's example. it's doing some of it by the phones. Yeah, it's doing some of it with the phone. I don't know if it's enough. I for sure want to try it. But that means getting a Pixel, so that, that could be a problem. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I I'm I will try and get my hands on one of these. I don't know how. Uh, I have put myself on a waiting list to see if I can try and get one quicker. Uh, I want to try it out. It looks really cool. Next year, uh, when we go to San Francisco together again, uh, you, you bring your Pixel and you make me try a, a Daydream VR. All right, that's it. Hopefully, I'll have a headset by then. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Wow, that's like ten months know. or something. Super quick aside, Federico, we get our PlayStation VR next week. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Don't tell. Don't tell Steven. He's still on the show. Back on task, so boys. So the, the boss. The boss is listening to us, so we better get him. Get a move on. Mike. We're gonna do a special remaster. Look out for that. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> Google Wi-Fi. No, not you. You know. I hope you know. I'm talking to the listener. <laughs> Google ah, Wi-Fi. talking to me. Uh, it is a, look, seems like an Eero competitor. So Eero has been a previous sponsor. They have the little devices that you put around your home. Same kind of deal. They even, like, even to the point of saying you can get singles or you can get three packs, which is Eero's thing. You get multiple devices, set them up around the home, and it will spread the connection out. Um, $129 for a single, $299 for a three pack. Looks like, I mean... I have no idea. I guess it's good, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how good the OnHub has been, which was Google's previous one. Um, so I can't say whether this would necessarily be a good device or not. But at least they got the fundamentals down. Like it's got an app. You can set all the things that you need to in the application, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. There's a joke about Google snooping on your Wi-Fi network here, but I'm not sure how to best deliver it. Mm. So just skip over. I think we'd all prefer if you... Just didn't. <laughs> um, and then Google Home. Stephen, are you interested in Google Home? You have an Echo. Like from the very basics that you know about it, is Google Home something of interest to you? I think if the Echo wasn't so good, I would be interested in it. Like if the Echo had opened me up to the idea of having a, a little box on my kitchen counter that I could talk to. But it really is great. And so I'm I'm interested in this that in the sense that I want this plat this type of device and type of platform to excel, and I want there to be competition, and I want there to be good options. Um, for me, the Echo does everything I want it to do, but I'm I'm going to keep an eye on this. I think I think these devices 
really shine through all the third-party integration. And the Alexa platform is very open. Basically, anyone can go create a skill. And so there's a skill for everything. There's one that I saw the other day that's like a magic eight ball. So you can ask Alexa to shake the magic eight ball and it reads you an answer. (laughs) Not really useful necessarily, but because it's open, it's really flexible. I don't know how open the Google Home platform is. I know that they said, and they put up a, a slide of like, these are the partners that we're working with to put stuff in here. So that story is going to be the most interesting part to me. If, yeah. if the situation changes and there's stuff that I cannot do with Alexa that Google Home can do, then I would look at this. But for now, I'm happy with the Echo. I'm not pre-ordering one of these things. But I'm going to keep a close eye on it because I think this is a really exciting space. I would wonder if Google's developer platform would be more robust. Yeah, I have some details about that because I was looking over the, the documentation from Google. So it's a system called Voice Actions. And you got to keep in mind that the assistant is going to be available on three different places, which is Allo, the, the weird messaging app, the Google Assistant on the Pixel phone, and the Google Assistant on the Google Home. So three different places, a single developer platform, and developers can enable these different types of actions depending on the device they're running on. And the system is kind of similar to Siri, perhaps a little more flexible than SiriKit. It's based on intents, which are not new to Android. And looking over the docs today, um, there's a bunch of, let's say, domains, like Apple calls them. Um, on, on Android, these are split across uh, the Google Home, uh, Android Wear, and Android on the phone. And they include alarms, system actions, communications, fitness, local, which is like uh, calling a cab, which I think it's exclusive to Android Wear, media, which includes the camera, so taking a picture or taking a video, Uh, open actions to open URLs or apps, productivity actions, which are not available on iOS, and search actions. So it seems that it's a little more open than Siri when it comes to media. So you can say, play this music on you know, Spotify, whatever, or like you can create tasks and notes with the productivity actions. That's why, you you know, we can see there's like Todoist is one of the partners uh, for the Google Home voice actions API. And I think at least for now, it's like SiriKit, not 2.0, but maybe 1.5. It's kind of a little more flexible, perhaps a little more advanced. But again, I just looked over the documents for like five minutes. Uh, It's, I think it's, very nice that the at least they have the integration with task managers and media mm-hmm. players. So you can like call the assistant and say, hey, I want to listen to this artist or I want to watch a video. That's very nice. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I also think that Google might be able to get more partners on board than Amazon yeah. can. Um, so to go through some of the, the little parts that they've shown today, was a lot that we've seen before, best-in-class voice recognition, swappable bases to fit it into your home, Great speaker, great voice recognition, LEDs on top to indicate listening. We saw this I.O. But they did some more uh, demos, stage demos, you know, like guy would say something, it would respond in the way that it should respond. Now, there was a bunch of stuff that we've seen the Echo do, like play me this song and it plays it. It's like, oh, you can choose your own, you you can use Spotify if you want rather than Google Music. Echo does that. Where it became really interesting was in the way that they are able to use Google Search so they did a bunch of different things, like play that song by Shakira from Zootopia. And it did it. Now, a couple of days ago, I asked my Echo to play me the newest Mumford & Sons album, and it just started playing Mumford & Sons, like just all of it, because it couldn't pass 
that or couldn't work out what that information was. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I ask the Alexa questions that it just doesn't have an answer for because it doesn't have Google search back behind it. And I think that this could be the thing that really makes it great. Like they ask how to get wine out of the carpet and it gives like this stupidly long answer, but like it's giving you the answer that you're looking for. Um, and I think that that's going to be something that really pushes the Google Home further than any of these other devices in that it has Google behind it. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it, it, it provides sort of a substructure of intelligence where an individual you know, developer may not be able to handle that sort of thing, but because you have Google kind of always there ready to pick up the slack, it could potentially be more powerful. Uh, it's going to be able to interact with smart home devices due to their partnerships with SmartThings, Hue, IFTTT, and their partnership with Nest. <laughs> I don't know why they have to do a partnership with you know a different arm of the company. Well, um, no, they're, they're, they're different. It's part of Alphabet, right? Still, or is Nest been is Nest completely collapsed? So, a different arm of the company. Google is a part of the Alphabet company. Oh yeah, right. And Nest is confusing. another part of that company. Can we just, can we just take a second and so Nest is doing security cameras and a thermostat, and just like they always have, and all of this stuff is Google branded, like. I know that Tony Fidel's out and they have a new CEO and they're trying to get things into shape. I think recently they pulled some of their software development back into Google. It's like Nest is sort of half half out of Google and half in now, but it just it continues to be confusing to me why they have these two different companies or two different divisions, depending on how you look at it, doing hardware. And I kind of think that at some point we're going to see the Nest Cam and the thermostat get rebranded like now that the oh, google's in yeah, the yeah. home with wi-fi and a device that's always listening i think the creepster factor of having a thermostat with a google logo on it is this pass like it doesn't bother me some people will be bothered by it and they'll pry their nest off the wall but google doesn't care about those people the only yeah, people that care about the google's creepy factor are people like thoroughly entrenched in the apple camp or the linux camp that they were never going to get anyway, right? Like those those people were like deep in their fandom, yeah. right? Uh, sure. And I don't think Google cares about those people. I mean, I don't think they should. But um, I don't think the Nest brand will last the next another year. I think they'll just roll that team into Google again and be like, Nest is gone because Google is a better brand than Nest, <laughs> and now we're making these home products. And it might be the Google thermostat or whatever. Um, One thing I also think looks really cool is that the home integrates with Chromecasts to let you fling audio, video, and photos around. So you can be like, play Stranger Things on the TV, and it will do that. I think that's awesome. That's real cool. Don't the Amazon Fire Sticks do this? Like, I feel like they should be doing this already. I don't know. I don't think anyone actually owns a Fire Stick except Dan Moran. Dan Moran does. Good ask, Dan. No, I that's think you're, really... you're thinking of Dan Moran. Oh, yes. Dan Moran. Okay. Yes, that guy. Yeah. yeah. That's really something that if, if Apple moves into the space, I would want them to do to say, hey, you know, ahoy, telephone box, play this over here on my Apple TV. Like, that's where this stuff can really get interesting. And Google's doing it. They do have a new Chromecast out today. It does 4K and um, is rebranded a, a little bit. But. That's really interesting to me, and I think out of all of the stuff that the smart that Google Home can do, the smart media stuff I think is um, some of the most exciting to me. 
I don't have a Chromecast. I think for however much they are now, like 49 bucks, I'm probably going to get one just so I can experience it because I've never even used one. But to be able to shout at your at your computer box on in the kitchen to play music in the living room is pretty neat. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i interested in this Google Home. Again, it's not any time soon coming out here. Uh, $129, which is a, a good price, I think. Um, pre-ordering today in the US, shipping November 4th, six base colors they've and we mentioned their big uh, developer platform these devices both the echo and uh the the google home they seem underpriced and and i wonder if they're purely like you're buying into the ecosystems right it's because you're paying with your privacy i'm sorry i keep coming up with these jokes i don't really mean them by the way federico this is not me speaking i'm i'm just the voice of the other folks on twitter I feel like, but like the, the the echo, you know, people don't levy those complaints at Amazon. I I wonder if these devices are they're sold they're sold with small margins on them because yeah. they they get you into the Google ecosystem, um, they get you into the Amazon ecosystem. That you know, one hundred twenty nine dollars sure. for a consumer electronics product uh, that looks really well made, that has a really great speaker in it, and incredible microphone technology. That, that that doesn't seem to add up in today's world of technology to me. Well, and and two, like I think it's easy to say, oh, that's so cheap when we all just spent a thousand dollars on a smartphone last month. But yeah, compared to phones, they're they're simpler and they're cheaper. And I think the price comparison will get really interest, interesting if Apple moves into this space. Like I don't see Apple doing a Siri box at one twenty nine. I see them doing it at two ninety nine, but not one hundred and thirty bucks. So. I think uh, that pricing conversation could get more interesting. But I, th- I think you're mostly right, Mike. I think that it is mostly about, hey, you um, bought this thing from Amazon or from Google and you're going to be more likely to stay in the ecosystem or spend more money because you you have that, you know, that sunk cost of this thing sitting on your kitchen counter. Yeah, um, I I don't know. I like the look of this thing. I really do. I think it looks really cool. I think Google have the ability to kind of take this further than Amazon um, because the Amazon app and the skills is like a dumpster fire of UI horrificness. Um, and I think Google could probably do a better job than Amazon. But we'll see. We'll see. Federico, are you interested in this? I think I'm going to get one. Uh, for some reason, Sylvia doesn't like Alexa. Like she doesn't stand Alexa at a very personal level. Uh, I don't know if it's the voice or whatever, but she just hates Alexa very deeply. And uh, so I think I'm getting the Google Home and hopefully she will like uh, Google better. Uh, but seriously, aside from, from you know my girlfriend and her relationship with Alexa, um, I think Google has a chance to provide much better um, interface and much better integrations. If only because... The Google Home has access to very important data about me, which is my browsing history and my email. And yep. I feel like Amazon has access to the stuff that I buy, like my lightning cables and my hard drives. I mean, yeah, but Amazon doesn't really know a lot about me. And we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm cool with Google knowing a lot of stuff about me. And I feel like that information can make for a much better smart speaker. So, yes, I'm going to get one. Yep, if they ever come out in Europe. Stephen, you're obviously the closest. You'll be able to get one this year. Are you going to buy one? I don't I don't think so. Again, I'm I'm really happy with the Echo, but 
if it comes to like needing to do it for work to talk about it, I may I may give it a shot. 129 bucks is not that much money, and it could be that I could leave it in the office as opposed to the uh, the dot that I just ordered. So. I think you should take a bullet for the show well, and pre-order one. I have a company credit card. So get the company to buy it. Go done. On. And then you can send it to me when you're done. If our accountant is listening, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, you get it. You try it out and then you send it to me. Now I can have one. <laughs> it's going to cost $129 to do it. Okay, so the big question is what color do I get? All right. Let's see. Get the most outlandish color possible. I think you can only get white. So I have a um, an XL on the way, the Pixel XL. Uh, I think it will be here in a th- few weeks' time. It seems to be what the website's suggesting, kind of towards the end of November. Uh, so I'm looking forward to trying that out. Federico, Stephen has bought the Google Home now. What have you bought? I have placed myself on the waiting list for a Comcast Ultra because I'm, you know, I'm the unlucky Italian one and mm. we don't get any of the new things on the Google store in Italy. So yes, I'm, I literally just placed my email in a waiting list. That's all I've done. Well, I've also done that for the Google Home and for the Daydream PR headset. Yeah. On the, on the Italian store, it's just there's a gray button that says not available. What, for the so, VR headset? <laughs> no, nothing, basically. Just You can only click the button for uh, the Chromecast. Oh, but the... just, to, to be on, just to be on the waiting list, not to make a pre-order. So the, 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 the Daydream VR is just completely grayed out. Like, there's nothing you can do. Yes. All right, well, at least I've got a button that I can click. Yeah, and even the phone, it's just gray. You can do nothing. It's just not for you guys, not in Italy. So that's Google. Solid show from Google today, I think. They're getting better and better at this all the time. I think so too. Yeah, I think they do they do a good job in these events. They have a nice diverse cast. They have people who like Apple does clearly involved with the product, right? You see product managers and you see designers and you see engineers. And um, I think they're really firing on all cylinders in these events. I think it's they're, they're as they're as much fun to watch for me as an Apple keynote at this point. You know, I, I watched almost all of it today, and it was it was a great show. And that, that's part of it, right? It's about the products, but it's also about how they're presented. And I think they're doing a better job than ever. So I'm just gonna put in the show notes uh, a picture that is tweeted out by Daniel Beta. Uh, he works at Mobile Nations and he's the managing editor of Android Central. And he has taken a photo that he's tweeted of the black pixel. I think it looks good. I don't think it looks good. Yeah, not sure about the dual color, honestly, but maybe that's just me. I think, I think it looks kind of cool uh, in its own little way. I don't know. It looks like some kind of credit card reader. Yeah, I think it's going to look dated. The second they get rid of that on the next generation, it's going to look really old. Well, I mean, sure, but so does my iPhone. Because you literally sent me a picture like yesterday of the antenna lines on the previous one, and you were like, "This looks old." So it's true, you know. No, it's a thing that happens. Um, I don't know if I were to buy one uh, that blue is, and I usually don't like blue devices, but I think the blue looks the best. Yeah, I can't get it though. <laughs> I was going to get blue because blue phone, but no, can't get it. Um, I'm I will eventually get one of those really wicked cool cases that they make, but I just don't know what I will make it of. You know, you can get like the custom made cases, mm-hmm. uh, but I just don't know what I want to put on my case yet. Can make it look like a bunch of stickers. I thought of that. Um, I I thought of that. Just like 
just putting stickers into the case. Maybe I'll just take a picture of my iPad and <laughs> just put that on my phone. That, that's the way to do it. What if, you, what if you made a case that looks like the front of the phone Ooh. and then and then you have like a dual phone like you take a you just take a screenshot and you make a case out of it that's kind of genius that's oh really my good. word I'm, I, I have so many options uh, like uh, connected listeners you can tweet with the hashtag Mike's case for your suggestions <laughs> for what I should make a case uh, out of very versatile hashtag Mike right yep, there Mike's, Mike's case. case well you know yeah, okay is anybody else really using that? I doubt it. I don't think so. So I just tweeted Mike's case. No, obviously no uh, no punctuation because that breaks the hashtag and there are no tweets found. So it's all good. Tweet at me. All right. If you want to find our show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 111. If you want to find Federico online, he is at the Tici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Oh, you should be closing it out, right? No, no, you should. This is all your right. job, Mike. Or he's over at uh, MacStories.net. I was looking at an open tab and was about to say that you write for Mac Rumors. So, mm. congratulations on your Not uh, quite. On your big well, move. Thank you. I'm really excited thank you, to see what you. you do next. Yeah. Uh, Stephen is over at uh, at ismh on Twitter, and he is at five twelve pixelsnet And I am at imike i m y k e. And you can find my videos over at YouTube.com/slash Mike Hurley. Look at that! I've got a new I've got a new outro. Everyone. It's good. Isn't that, isn't that fancy? Thank you so much to Braintree for the support of this week's show. And as always, thank you for listening. Until the next time, say goodbye, guys. Adios. Adios.